All right. It is good to be with you. If you are new in the last couple of weeks and you're wondering, like, who's this guy? Um, I'm Pastor Dave. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, I've just been gone for the last three Sundays. Uh, myself and my dad, we had the opportunity to go on a short missions trip to the African nation of Burundi, um, where we connected with uh, a local ministry there, a church called Christian Life Ministries. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, you had the privilege of hearing from Elmer and Sherry Comont. Elmer's here in the fourth row, and uh, they planted that church almost 10 years ago, and it was incredible to go and be a part uh, and see firsthand the fruit of their labor. And so we got there, um, you can throw, there's a picture up just of the inside of the, the auditorium there. We got there and we started right into a week long of uh, a prayer and fasting week. So maybe you've been on a missions trip, but have you ever gone on a missions trip where you also had to fast? Uh, so this was this was awesome. Here's the inside of the church. Um, on I think that was the first Sunday we were there. And uh, over the course of that first week between two Sundays and the prayer and fasting week, there were two services every day during that week. Um, I preached 10 times. Uh, my dad preached a couple of times. Then after that week, we went uh, up country into a city called Gatega where we did some leadership teaching with their team. And so I think overall, I, I had either... 19 either sermons or devotions or leadership talks and my dad had seven or eight in there so we were really busy with preaching and teaching and just had an incredible time um, and then you know through the week we were just participating in this this prayer and fasting week and there was a, a noon hour prayer time and uh, one of the things um, that is a great experience when you go maybe to a country like Africa and you're a guy like me who grew up in a predominantly you know white culture it's great to experience what it's like for a little while to be a minority, and they have a term of affection, I'll call it, for white people there. You're a Mzungu, and um, I don't think it's negative, it's just a term of affection. And But from what I understand, the direct translation is white man walking around in circles, for whatever reason. <laughs> And then one of the lunch hour prayer times, you know, one of the things that I like to do when I'm praying is I like to kind of move around the space I'm praying in. And so even at our Thursday lunch hour prayer time here at APA, I like to kind of move around the auditorium. And so I'm, you know, in the auditorium at, at Christian Life Ministries, and I'm walking around the auditorium, and I'm going around, and all of a sudden I realize I'm literally a Mzungu. This is... This is why they call us that. Um, but it was an incredible, incredible experience, and I'll share a little bit uh, as I go today. But uh, also next week, my dad and I are going to have about eight or ten minutes in the service to show some more pictures and more details uh, of the trip. But I just wanted to say thank you, um, because it's because of you that we were able to go. Uh, it's because of you and, and our board releasing me to be able to take that time away. And God did a real great work in my heart in that time as well. So before I left for the trip, I left this Sunday as kind of a question mark in the preaching calendar. Normally I know months in advance, you know, every Sunday what the topic is, and that's all prayerful and, and, and thought out and everything, but, but I just felt like, let's leave this open, because I assumed that God would speak to me over this trip to have a word for the congregation here. And, and so we got home last Sunday afternoon, and, um, and then uh, I still hadn't really 
I didn't really have anything. I mean, God had done a lot and spoken to me a lot, but I still didn't really have anything specific that I sensed he wanted me to say to you. And so the next morning, I was predictably up extremely early because of jet lag. I think I finally got out of bed around 4 a.m. And uh, I went downstairs into my normal kind of chair where I have my devotions. And I was reading my Bible from the book of Isaiah. And then I just spent time listening to the Lord. And uh, eventually I just said, God, like... You know, I got a week here. Um, I got to say something about my trip and something from you to, to my people at APA. What, what do you want me to say? And I genuinely felt God speak to me very clearly a word that he wants me to share with you today. And it has to do with what I think is one of the most important prayers that we can pray in our day. One of the most important prayers that we can pray in our day. One of the most important prayers that we need to pray in our day. We've been in this series in prayerfulness, and uh, it was awesome to watch online over the last few weeks as uh, Pastor Nick led it off, and Elmer and Sherry uh, preached, and Darcy and Leanne spoke last week, and just to see you engaging in prayerfulness through the prayer room and through just seeing the response last Sunday of how you guys are really digging in to what God is saying. And that feels good to a pastor, that when I'm away, God is still working, and things don't fall apart, and that's amazing. We have an incredible team here, but I'm loving seeing the fruit of what God is doing at our church as we pursue prayerfulness. And today, as I said, I want to talk to you about the most important prayer, one of the most important prayers that we can pray in our time. Let me go back to the definition for prayerfulness that Pastor Nick provided for us a couple weeks ago. It'll be on the screen here. Prayerfulness is a way of living founded in our relationship with God Prayer permeates everything we do and influences our actions. This brings transformation as we invite God to reign in every aspect of our lives. Prayerfulness embodies who we are called to be and how we are called to live. And so, even as we conclude our series on prayerfulness this week, that doesn't mean we stop being prayerful. Because if we're truly prayerful, it's not about an activity or a sermon series. It's about uh, a, an attitude and an orientation that permeates everything we do as a church and everything we do as individuals. So whether we're in a more dynamic spirituality type preaching series like prayerfulness or whether we go to something a little bit more practical Christian living like we'll start next week, we continue to remain prayerful as a church because prayerfulness by definition permeates everything we do. It embodies our calling as as a church. And so as we move forward, let me share with you what I believe God wanted me to share with you today. One of the most important prayers you and I can pray in our time. And this is the passage of scripture I was reading Monday morning when I believe God spoke to me. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 8. You can open up your Bibles or your devices or follow the sky Bible behind me. Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. Isaiah writes, It was the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. 
Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He, he touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. Isaiah is one of the most famous prophets in the history of Judah. At this time, um, Israel had split into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, and, and Isaiah was a prophet. And this is where he gets his invitation into his vocation as a prophet. Now, the job description of a prophet was really basic. Just declare the word of the Lord. Whatever God tells you to say, say it to the people. Simple job description, but not an easy job. Because prophets were normally mistreated, underappreciated, often persecuted, and their messages were rarely actually listened to. But God calls Isaiah to be a, be a prophet, and Isaiah sees this incredible vision of the presence of the Lord, and, and these angels that look strange, and they're shouting, and, and there's an earthquake, and there's smoke, and Isaiah's freaked out, and, and rightly so, because Isaiah knew, as a good Jewish man who understood the scriptures, how dangerous it was for a sinful person to be in the presence of a holy God. It's like gasoline coming too close to fire. You're about to be destroyed. And he knew in that moment that he was toast. He said, it's over. I'm, I'm done. I'm a sinful man in the presence of a holy God. But one of the angels came and, and took a coal from the fire, which symbolized the fact that a sacrifice had been made. And that sacrifice purified Isaiah and sent him into his vocation as a prophet. And when God called him, his response was incredible. He said, here I am, send me. Here I am. I believe that's one of the most important prayers we can pray in our time. Sometimes my entire prayer time in the morning is dominated by those three words. Here I am. Just to present myself in the presence of the Lord. Here I am. Say what you want to say. Do what you want to do. Send me where you want to send me. Here I am, Lord. But it's also a scary prayer. And a dangerous one. Isaiah's prayer launched him into his vocation as a prophet. And it was not an easy time. Sometimes we see prophecy as, as, as merely like foretelling the future. You know, this is what's going to happen. And there's a little bit of that, but prophecy is often just forth-telling the Word of God. It's just saying what God is saying. And a lot of Isaiah's prophecy is just declaring the Word of the Lord to the people at the time, even though there is a little bit of foretelling as well. But you see, sometimes prophecy, we, we kind of we make it into something it doesn't need to be because, because all of us with the Spirit of God have the opportunity to prophesy. And what that means sometimes is literally just you could be with someone praying or studying the scriptures together and you just get an impression about that person that God loves them. And you can go up to them and say, hey, I, I think in this moment God just wants you to know that he loves you and he sees you right now. And you've prophesied. 
right? Sometimes we think to prophesy, we need to, you know, have our eyes roll back in our head and start speaking King James English, thus saith the Lord, and, you know, go off. But, but you can just say, hey, I think God is saying that he loves you and he sees you. We don't need to be weirder than we already are, right? We just need to share the word of God with people, and that's a prophetic ministry. But in the nation of Israel, prophets had an extra tough role. They had really a a political function. They were meant to speak to kings and to entire nations. You had these three offices of prophet, priest, and king that kind of served side by side. But prophets were meant to proclaim the words of the whole nation, and most of the time they weren't well received. It wasn't a prestigious role. It wasn't sought after. You were often persecuted, hated, and sometimes killed. And Isaiah was called in particular to point out the hypocrisy of the nation, to point out the injustices of the nation, to point out the fact that God was going to be judging the nation, which shouldn't have been a surprise because if you follow the biblical history and understand the covenant between God and his people, there was kind of a two-edged promise that was made. God had said, you're my people, Trust me, follow me, worship me, worship me, follow my laws, then I'll give you land, I'll give you prosperity, I'll give you safety from your neighbors and security, you'll win the battles that I call you to fight, everything will be fine, I will bless you. But if you abandon me, if you reject me, if you worship false gods, the other side of that promise is, I will judge you, I will remove you from the land, you'll, you'll experience defeat at the hands of your enemies. And so they're in this season where they're practicing the same injustices as the nations God had removed from the land to put them in there. They're becoming just like every other nation and God is now fulfilling his promise to bring judgment to the land. And Isaiah is going out saying, hey, this is about to happen. And you can imagine why his message wasn't appreciated. It wasn't the golden age of Israel like it was for King David or King Solomon. It was a time of decline and downfall. It was a time of social and moral decline and eventually catastrophe. The book of Isaiah covers about 200 years of history. Within it we see the activities of powerful empires like Babylon and Assyria and Persia. And eventually both Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, they were defeated, destroyed, and their people were taken off into a period of time we call the exile. It's kind of like, imagine if... Newfoundland invaded BC. We all know that they've been planning this. And they sailed over here in their fishing boats and they invaded the west coast. And this is what Babylon did to Judah. They came and they destroyed their places of worship. They destroyed their places of of authority. They came in, they slaughtered the armies, they slaughtered innocent people. And then what they did is they took all the brightest and best, the educated, the leaders, uh, the political leaders, those they didn't kill, they actually took them back to live in Babylon. So the Nufis take all of our leaders, all of our educated, all of our brightest and best, and take us back and teach us how to fish for cod and say hey bye every time, every day, and you know, then you have to get assimilated into them. That, that was the idea. That was Babylon's foreign policy. And so it, then the people who are left is a small population, undereducated, leaderless, are try, told to figure out life again and then somehow pay tribute to the new overlords. And that was the season that Isaiah was preparing the people for. His ministry was not appreciated. Yet this is something I want you to understand. Isaiah served God regardless. 
He gave God his best regardless. He gave the people his best regardless of how they responded to him. When God called him, even in that season, he said, here I am. One of the underlying themes of the book of Isaiah is that God is working out the course of history. God is working out a plan. Of course, Isaiah is famous also for the prophecies of the Messiah, his foretelling that Jesus would come. And regardless of what Israel was facing in the moment, God was working out a plan to prepare them to receive the Messiah. Part of that plan required the exile to happen so that God can initiate a plan of salvation and prepare the people for the Messiah to come. And of course, those were great days ahead, but that's not the time that Isaiah did ministry in. He didn't get to see the time of the Messiah. He was in the time of the exile. Yet Isaiah served God regardless. He gave God his best. He gave the people his best, no matter the results of his ministry. Now, why am I telling you this, you know, in, in relation to my trip and all that kind of stuff? Well, I like to give context to scriptures that I teach on Sunday, but as I pondered what God was speaking to me on Monday morning, he started to talk to me about the context of ministry in Burundi and how Isaiah was called in a season that was difficult and the context of ministry in Burundi is a very difficult context as well. They're not the same, but they're both hard. So Christian Life Ministries, CLM, as I said, is almost 10 years old as a ministry. And we got to see firsthand the amazing work there. Um, Elmer and Sherry, they, they planted it, and then Elmer served as the lead pastor for seven or eight years before handing it off to a Burundian. Um, and th that guy recently resigned, and so there was a leadership transition again. And so uh, the new lead pastor is Oled, and I've got a picture of Oled uh, and his wife Alice with my dad and I. That's our last day with them. Um, I was a giant there, you know? <laughs> I don't know what it is. <clears throat> um, Pastor Oled's an incredible guy. So thankful um, to befriend him while I was there. But CLM has three campuses. So they've got their central campus, which is the picture I showed you earlier. And uh, on Sunday morning, they have three services there. Two services are technically for the central campus. And then the third service is actually another campus that is in a suburb of Bujumbura. But they lost their rental for that other campus. So they've brought them back in to the main campus so they can find something else. But then they have a third campus in the center of the country in a city called Gitega. And uh, we got to go visit that as well. But between those three campuses, they have like 12 to 1,400 people in church on Sunday. Which, if you know anything about like planting a church, like if you have a church of over 1,000 people after 10 years, that's incredible. They're doing amazing work there. Pastor Elmer and Sherry did an incredible job um, leading them over these years and then handing it off to be nationalized the way it is. But it's a hard context for ministry. Not in the same way as ancient Israel, but in its own way. Burundi has experienced many injustices through colonialism and political corruption, some violent leadership transitions in its history. In the last 30 years, I think there's been three major crises and uh, like political, like assassinations and civil war. And, you know, we talked to people, the most recent crisis was in 2015, and people told us stories about hearing bullets flying over their houses, and there's certain bridges you just wouldn't cross if you valued your life. And these are the kind of things that can take decades to recover from. 
Like I found it interesting if you go to like Vancouver and you see statues of like the founders of BC or some of the founders of Canada, you know, they're, they're wearing like, I don't know what it is, 18th century, 19th century clothing. And they're on a horse with a sword in the air and their big hat or whatever, right? But the statues of the founders of Burundi are wearing like suits from the 80s. Because like Burundi's like as a as a modern nation, it's a very young nation. So it was kind of funny just to see like they've got these, it's it's so new and they're still building out of some of the pain they've had in the past. Today it's one of the poorest countries in the world. Seventy to ninety percent, depending on the stats you read, of its workforce are in agriculture. But most of that is subsistence farming, which basically means they're not like building businesses and exporting goods. They're just surviving. They're just farming enough to feed themselves and their family and make a little bit of money at the market. Most paid workers make dollars per day, if that. And a lot of people are just unemployed. I actually met... There's a ton of young men in CLM who are in like their late 20s, early 30s, and uh, they're serving, they're in ministry, they're talented, they're godly, um, and they're just having trouble finding work to be able to afford to have a family. Because a lot of these guys, like, they have to be able to save up. They still have a system where you have to pay a dowry to, to find a wife. And they want to get married. And if any ladies want to go on a missions trip, we can import some of these guys or something. Because they're incredible guys who love Jesus. <laughs> yeah, come on. Uh, but, but they're just, they're just unable to, una you know, they have college educations. One guy I talked to, he's, uh, he's got a civil engineering degree, but works as a part-time music teacher because just, there just isn't an economy to support that kind of professional. And so what often happens is that the brightest and best in Burundi, if they can get a visa to go to Europe or to North America, they'll go because the opportunity is elsewhere. And you have what they call the African brain drain whether the brightest and the best will often leave and leaving the country more impoverished because of their absence. And this is the context of ministry in Burundi. Yet there's so much passion and desire in the people there. They're so, they're so hardworking, so incredible, like putting, putting us to shame in so many ways with their passion for the Lord, their desire to serve. Like I would look back, we, we, they had us sitting in the front row and I would look back at the sound booth and they had like this cage around the booth and there was like 12 guys in there. <laughs> like it was only probably like, you know, 20 square feet and there's just 12 guys in this cage all jammed in there wanting to help, wanting to serve. You know, I told Elmer about that. He's like, I tell those guys not to do that, you know. Uh, but they're all just wanting to serve and be a part of what God is doing. And, and I talked to uh, their, the, the guy who's running their worship ministry right now. His name is Daffy. And he's so talented. Uh, he showed up at the church years ago and barely spoke a word of English. It's an English-speaking church and, and learned, learned to, to play and lead. And he runs a worship ministry. But he plays guitar left-handed. But they don't have a left-handed guitar. So he's got the thing flipped upside down and you learn to chord upside down. Like, no excuses. You know, there's another young guy named Beni who, uh, he obviously had a stroke at some point in his life because his right arm and his right leg are limp, but he's running cables and helping with sound and doing whatever he can to serve the Lord. There's just no excuses. It's a hard context. It's a difficult life for many of them, but they serve the Lord. They love Jesus deeply. 
The context is difficult, yet the people of CLM serve God anyway. They give God their best. They give the people their best, no matter the circumstances they face. And God is working out the course of history in Burundi to accomplish his good purposes there. Like Isaiah, the people of CLM are saying to God, here I am. Here I am. Do what you want with me. Call me to what you want. Send me where you want me to be. But you know what? As I sat in my chair on Monday morning, God reminded me also that Canada is a tough ministry context. Not like Israel, and not like Burundi, but in its own unique and special way. We are in a tough ministry context. We live in a post-Christian culture. The definition of a post-Christian culture is not that it used to be Christian, but that it used to be predominantly Christian, but also now pushes back and rebels against those old values and beliefs. And so now you have a belief that not only is Christianity less relevant than it used to be, or irrelevant, but also possibly dangerous in its beliefs. It's becoming harder, not easier, to be a follower of Jesus in Canada. Our social systems don't prop up lives of faith like they used to. Churches are no longer seen as integral community organizations. The common opinion is that churches are a drain on the community, instead of a positive factor, and therefore we should be taxed or maybe even shut down. Clergy aren't seen, to, seen anymore as trustworthy authority figures, but as people to be skeptical of and maybe even as dangerous members of the community. Christian beliefs and values are no longer seen as good for society, but potentially dangerous. The church in Canada across pretty much every denomination is in decline. Attendance is down. Giving is down. Participation is down. The number of people who claim to be Christians is down. People's trust in the reliability of the Bible to speak truth into modern life is down. And on top of that, people are just so confused about what it means to be a human being. People are so confused about their identity and and their, their sexual identity. And this is a conversation I had with two separate people, and it's okay to think it's humorous because we need, we need to be able to just like, you know, allow ourselves to be humored by some of these things, but literally this conversation happened twice. Pastor Dave, is Canada really how we hear it is? And I would say, well, what do you mean? And they said, do people really identify as cats in Canada? And I, I said, yeah, well... Yes, yes, they do. Uh, like our, our international reputation, you see where it's going, right? It's kind of like, yeah, like we have a good hockey team, though. You want to talk about that instead of the, the cat people? Um, there's just so much confusion about who we are and who we're created to be. This is the context that we're in. And as I pondered these things on Monday morning, I felt convicted to affirm this truth that God is working out the course of history in Canada to accomplish his good purposes here. And we might not be in the middle of a season of revival like we hoped we would be, but we're still in the middle of a season in which God is in control and he is working things out. God is working in our time. 
God is working at CLM. God is working in Canada. God is still working at APA. And God still works with those who respond to him with the words, Here I am. One of the most important prayers we can pray in our time. And this is what I felt specifically God wanted me to say to you in light of all of this. And this, I think, is a prophetic word for our church, for our time. We don't choose the time in which we live, but we can choose to serve God in our time. We don't choose the time in which we live, but we can choose to serve God in our time. We can respond to God's call with the words, Here I am. You know, I'm, I'm praying for revival. I hope you are too. It's coming, Rajesh is praying harder than me. He's inspiring me every day. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep believing for it. And I'm believing for a major move of God in my lifetime. But Pastor Dave is not the one responsible for deciding when the season of revival begins. The Lord is working out the course of history. My responsibility is to serve God in my time. In Isaiah's day, it was not a season of revival, it was a season of exile. But it was a season just as important in preparing for the day of Jesus' arrival, for the day when God would revive the people. And in that day, Isaiah still said, here I am. If we are not willing to say, here I am, in other kinds of seasons, then it becomes harder to prepare for the day when revival comes. Do I hope to be a part of a season of revival? I absolutely do. But I'm going to say, here I am, whatever season I'm in. I don't get to choose the time in which I live, but I can choose to serve God in my time. I'm going to say, here I am, no matter what season I'm in. I'm going to serve God no matter what's happening in the world. I'm going to serve God whether you decide to serve God or not. If I'm the only one in Canada who serves Him, if I'm the only one who's a fool serving Him, I will serve God. For me and my house, I will serve God in my time. And I leave Him in charge of working out the course of history. You know, I never wanted to be a pastor. I thought this was the worst idea in the world. And... Uh, with a long story short, there was a time where I was at a church camp and Darcy McAllister was preaching and, uh, and I felt so convicted that I had been running from God's call. I, I was going to be a teacher, which is kind of ironic for the guy who's up here teaching, right? Um, I was going to be a teacher, but the Lord was calling me to something different. And, and after the service, I just I came to the front of the room and I got on my knees and I just said, here I am. I don't know if those were the words that I said, but that was the posture I took. Lord, whatever you want for me is what's best for me, and so do what you want with me. And the crazy thing that happened, the thing that I didn't want to do became the thing that I wanted to do. The thing that I was scared to do became the thing that I was passionate about. Because God doesn't drag us kicking and screaming into our calling. 
He asks us to be, respond to him. He asks us to be willing. He asks us to submit to him. And then he changes the desires of our heart. And he gives us a passion for his mission. He gives us a passion for the ministry he sends us into. Here I am. You know, King David is a great example of this as well. David lived in a great time in history, but he also never saw his dreams, his greatest dream fulfilled. His greatest dream was to build a house of worship for God. David was living in a palace, and one day he said, God's house is a tent, and I'm living in a palace. I need to do something about this. And he came to the Lord with his idea, and God said, no, you don't get to live in the temple generation. You live in the tent generation. And so David said, okay. But David served God in his time. And what David also did was prepared for the temple generation to thrive. And he prepared resources and everything required so that his son Solomon could fulfill the vision of David's ministry. And I say that because we are a multi-generational church. We have people who are in their 90s and we have, we have babies in bellies. And some of us will go before others. And some of us may or may not see our hopes and dreams come to fruition in our time. But we can serve God in our time and we can pre prepare the next generation for what God is going to do in their time. We don't get to choose the time in which we live, but we can choose to serve God in our time. Band, please come on back up. We're going to respond with some prayer. You might not be called to be a king like David. You might not be called to be a missionary or pastor. Not everybody is. But that doesn't mean you can't serve God. And while serving God within the church should be a priority, we need to learn to serve God wherever we are, whatever context he places us in. You need to learn how to serve God in your context, wherever you are. Like, you can serve God in politics, and you can serve God as a school teacher, and you can serve God in the trades, and you can serve him as a realtor, and you can serve him in the in service industry. You can serve God in all of these places. And you may be someone who, like, you're a carpenter. Great. Have you accepted your call to serve God in that industry? You're a teacher, great. But have you accepted your call to serve God as a teacher? You're retired, great. Have you accepted your call to serve God in your retirement? We don't just do things as followers of Jesus. We follow a calling. We follow our Lord and we serve God until our very last breath and then we serve him for eternity. Have you accepted your call? Have you said to God, here I am? It's one of the most important prayers we can pray in our time. Would you stand with me? The prayer ministry team is going to come to the front. As I said, often when I spend time with the Lord in the morning, my prayer time is dominated with those three words, here I am. And so, in a few different ways, I want to encourage you to join me in that prayer as we close today by saying to the Lord, here I am. And as Pastor Rajesh encouraged us later, maybe there are some in the room who have never just accepted the call into becoming a follower of Jesus. And today I want to encourage you in these next few moments just to say to the Lord, here I am. Here I am. I will serve you. Others of us, like I was as a young man, are fighting a more specific call into ministry or missions. 
And it's time to submit that to Him. It may be scary. It may feel like the last thing in the world you want to do. But I promise you, once you submit that to the Lord, He does an amazing work in your heart. And you may need to respond to Him today and just say, Here I am. Send me wherever you want. And others of you, it's not going to be missions or pastoring or any of those things. It's just going to be going back home to your kids. It's going to be going back tomorrow morning to swing that hammer. It's going to be going back to that office to push those emails. But God can empower that into a ministry where you can serve Him in so many creative and incredible ways wherever you are. All it takes to start is just saying, here I am. Just saying, here I am. And so this morning it might look like coming up and praying with one of these who are here. It might look like coming up and just finding space up at the front. Sometimes us just embodying that step. You know, here I am in my pew is great, but also if we just take a step physically to show God we're serious, say, here I am, God, that might be what it's needed for you. Others of us just need to get down on our knees and submit ourselves to the Lord and say, here I am. But join me in prayer and then respond as God calls as the band leads. I encourage you even just to put your hands out like this as I pray. Here we are, Lord. Here we are, Lord. Lord, we acknowledge that you are working out the course of history according to your good purposes. And we confess, Lord, that ministry here is hard. In general, it seems like the church is not doing well in Canada. But you are still in charge. And you are still working. And you are active. And you are present. And you are working here at APA, among this people. And you continue to call. You continue to draw us in. You continue to cry out to us. Who is willing? Who is willing? Lord, in faith, we respond. We say, here I am. Now in your own words, church, just say, here I am to the Lord. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. For those, Lord Jesus, today who need to come to you for the first time, to become your followers, to become Christians, draw them in. Receive them today in Jesus' name. Forgive them of their sins. Empower and strengthen them by your Spirit. And send them out with a calling, Lord Jesus, to be completely transformed. For those today who are fighting a calling into a specific vocation, God, we pray that they would humble themselves, bow before you and say, Here I am, so you can change their hearts and send them onto the field where you've called them. And for those of us today who just need to to remind ourselves that we are called into whatever context you bring us, Lord, we repeat, Here I am. Here I am.